What's going on, Cornerstone? All right, I do this at every service, and it's just because I, I love y'all so much, and I want us to be engaged, and I need to know how excited you all are to be here today. So here's a question, man. How many of y'all came excited about Jesus? Let's go. Hey, man, if you're here for the first time, my name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so grateful and so thankful uh, for each and every one of you who decided to come out and make your way to church this morning, especially if you are a first-time guest, man. We want to say welcome and thank you so much for hanging out with us. And also a major shout-out to all of you who are watching online. Y'all, for the past uh, several weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Squad Goals, and it has been absolutely wonderful. It has blessed my life. It has blessed Bless my family's life. But this Sunday, uh, as a church, we wanted to pause and really take a moment and just recognize blended families. You know, the truth of the matter is, is while there's been amazing content over the last three weeks and it can apply to all families, the truth is, is that in a blended family, uh, there are just some dynamics that happen in blended families that don't necessarily happen in a traditional family. And I know this because I come from a blended family. And some of those dynamics include like when uh, kids have a different last name than their parents, and they've got to go uh, to parent-teacher conferences in the airports, and it can get a little weird when you've got to present IDs and there's different last names, or the teacher calls your parents by your last name and they have to correct them. Uh, there's some other factors in blended families, such as some blended families have multiple sets of parents, and unfortunately, those multiple sets of parents don't always get along, and there is some tension that's involved in those different dynamics. But here is the one thing that I need you to know. It does not matter whether or not you are a blended family or a traditional family. The one thing that I absolutely know to be true is that the enemy hates the institution of family. And as a result of him hating the institution of family, the enemy will do whatever he can to break and tear families apart. And my goal for this message that I'm getting to share with you today is, is hopefully that at the conclusion of this message, combined with the other three we've had over the last several weeks, you will leave this place saying today that regardless of my past, regardless of the family dynamics of which I come from, regardless of the things that may be taking place in my family right now, I serve a God who has the power to take my broken family and redeem it. I serve a God who has the power to take my sick family and heal it. I have, I have a God who has the power to take my, my family that's been dealing with drama and trauma and restore it. So I want to take a few minutes and just talk about this idea of how God can redeem our families. But just before I do, I would be remiss if I did not take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to just rest in this place and minister to each and every one of us. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious and kind Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise. And Holy Spirit, I thank you for being a comforter. And my prayer right now is that you would fall fresh in this place. Holy Spirit, I surrender to your will and your way. Have your way and do what it is that you want to do. And I pray that you would touch the hearts and the minds of every single person in this room and allow us to leave this place stronger as families, regardless of what kind of family we are, better than the way that we came in. Hide me behind the cross. Let them not see me. Let them only see you. Give me preaching power that comes from you. 
And I'll give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. And everybody said amen. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Colossians. But before I do, I want to take a trip down memory lane and show you a picture real quick of my family. So uh, this is a picture of my family, which is actually a blended family. The young lady standing tall, looking beautiful, is my mom. The gentleman with his arms around her is my dad. He's actually my stepdad, but he eventually because we formed a bond. I used to start to actually call him dad. And then that handsome gentleman at the bottom right there is none other than myself. We all, I was just the cutest little thing with my fro. Praise Jesus from whom all blessings flow. Do me a favor. Let's go to the next picture real quick. Uh, what you all don't know is that in that other picture, there was a little guy that was baking in my mom's stomach and he's standing at the bottom. That's my little brother, Jacob. Uh, he was probably around three years old. And I remember teasing him that he was bald, bad, but he was also beautiful. Bless his heart. And up in the corner is my grandmother, and I vividly remember that day. That was the day my mom uh, completed uh, her undergraduate education. She had me when she was 19 years old, uh, and she decided some years later to go back and finish school with two kids, and it was super cool. But one of the reasons uh, why I decided to share that particular picture with you is because one of the really cool things that my mom and my dad did for me and my brother when we were younger is they were very intentional about making sure that every single night we were face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder, and we had dinner at the table. And what was cool, because we were face-to-face and shoulder-to-shoulder, we had the opportunity to really crack jokes and have a good time. And one of the things that I've noticed, y'all, about the times in which we live in today, there are many families sometimes that just take the time to be intentional about coming together to sit at the table. And when we came to the table, you had to participate for the 30 minutes to an hour that we would sit there. See, back in the day, there was no such thing as coming to the table and bringing your cell phone at the table. Main reason why is because cell phones didn't exist at the time, amen. We had what was called pagers. Anybody had a pager in this room? But you had to, come on, but you had to leave the pager behind. You couldn't bring the pager to the table. Uh, One of the other things that you couldn't do at the table uh, is there was no checking emails at the table. And you better not dare try to do what we do today, which is called grab and go. Mom makes dinner. Everybody goes into the kitchen, grabs the food, and goes to their tables. I had the kind of mama that when I grew up, if she even thought I was thinking about eating in my room, it was going to be some problems up in here, up in here. That's the way things went down in my family. But y'all, we had some amazing times at the table. You see, it was at the table where my dad sometimes would crack jokes at me. For those of you who, and they were funny jokes and they were friendly jokes, my parents encouraged me to get involved in sports. So I played basketball and baseball. And one of the things about my dad is he is a natural comedian. So if I had a game that day and I just had like a horrible play, y'all, my dad would come to the table and have jokes for days. And the whole family would just laugh. But then there were other moments where we would come to the table and maybe things weren't as comfortable because life just happened. I'll never forget when my dad went to work, he worked in politics, worked in government, and there was this new mayor in our city who had just came into office and he has the right to hire and fire who he wants. And my dad came home after a day at work and let us know that he was let go once the new mayor came in. And we just sat at the table and we talked it through and thought about what would be next and um, that's just how it was at the table. 
But then there are other moments when you're at the table and y'all, it's just a cool, chill moment at the table. Mom brings all the food to the table. In my household, we used to have a TV in the kitchen and it was right above our oven. Uh, the, the Gen Z, they don't know nothing about these kind of TVs. It wasn't a flat screen TV with the remote, y'all. It was one of those TVs uh, to where it had the two knobs on the side and then it had the antennas coming out the front. And every now and again, because it was old TV, the picture would like flutter real bad and you'd have to stand up and just start banging the side of the TV so that you could actually see the picture. She'd know what kind of TV I'm talking about. Y'all online know what kind of TV I'm talking about. If you know it, just type it in the chat. I know what you're talking about, Pastor. The truth of the matter is that's what we used to do. We used to come to the table and uh, have these moments. But here's the cool thing about being at the table. The cool thing about being at the table, y'all, is because we were face-to-face and we were side-to-side, I can look back and tell that there were moments at the table where our family bonded. It was moments at the table to where connectivity happened. And being at the table during those formative years of my life was one of the best moments of my family. But unfortunately, in the fifth grade, the dynamics of the table started to change. You see, we went from laughing and joking to all of a sudden there were a few more arguments at the table. By the time I hit the sixth grade, we were doing the grab and go thing. By the time I hit the seventh grade, my parents were separated. By the time I was in eighth grade, my parents got a divorce. And I can tell you right now, for any person that's in this room, you know what it's like to live in a family to where you start to slowly see the family be separated and tear apart. It causes a lot of hurt. It causes a lot of pain. And as, ref- as I reflected on our family, here is what I concluded. There were several reasons why our family dynamic did not work, but there's only one main reason that's the root of it all. And the main reason why our family dynamic didn't work out is because, unfortunately, my family did not establish our identity in Christ. You see, what happens when you and I establish our identity in Christ, when things happen within the family, when things get hard in the family, when things get difficult in the family, instead of responding to those hard times the way the world would teach us how to respond, because our identity is in Christ, we start to respond to those difficult things with the character and the nature of Christ. And it leads me to this very important question for you and your family, and it's our big idea, and the question is this, how are you clothed for the table? How are you dressed for the table? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, Paul does an amazing job of discussing what it looks like to reflect the character and the nature of Christ. Here's what he says, beginning at verse number 12. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, he says, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. He says, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Verse 14, he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. As Paul is writing this uh, letter to the church of Colossians, one of the things that I love is that Paul makes an emphasis, y'all, on you and I to make sure that as we're talking about squad goals, as we're talking about family dynamics, the first thing that you and I must do as individuals is we must work on the vertical relationship. It's the relationship between us and God, making sure that our identity is established in Christ. Because when your identity is established in Christ, it helps you to reflect the nature and the character of Christ. But not only that, it helps you then to be able to navigate all the other horizontal relationships and to be particular, the relationships with your family members at the table. And in this particular passage, Paul uses a word that is so key and the word is clove. And when Paul uses that word clove, what Paul is basically saying is, is make sure that you clothe your mind and you clothe your heart with the character and with the nature of Christ. And here's the question that I have for you to think about as it relates to your family, family dynamics. When winter seasons happen and things get difficult and you're struggling trying to navigate some things that are taking place in your family, how are you clothing yourself at the table? Are you clothing yourself with the pain of what may have taken place in your previous family and bringing it to the current table? Are you clothing yourself with the negative experiences that you may have had in the current family and having a hard time to forgive and let go? Y'all, I understand 1,000% how difficult it can be to get over a pain or a trauma that someone has caused you in your life. If you're here in this place today and you've had a pain or a trauma, let me empathize with you and say, I know how you feel. But let me also tell you what helped me out. The very thing that helped me out, especially working through the dynamics of my family being a blended family that became a broken family, is I realized that my greatest influence did not have to be the pain of that experience. My greatest influence did not have to be the things that were said in my household that were hurtful. But the greatest influence in my life was the influence that is found in freedom in Christ. You can clap at that moment. Thank you so much. You're so kind. I know it's like 100 degrees outside, but it's going to be all right, y'all. We get to cool off and have a good time in Jesus. So here's the thing. I want to encourage you. And let you know that when Christ went to the cross, he didn't die so that your family had to live in chaos. He didn't die so that you had to live in the pain of your past. He did not die on that cross so that you had to continue to have to deal with drama and trauma. But Jesus went to the cross for me and you and died so that we can experience freedom in him. The Bible says that he who the son has set free is free indeed. All right, now, pause. If y'all gonna pause, don't give me no pity party applause, all right? I'm gonna need me a good black church applause. Preach, pastor, let's go. All right, there it is. There we go. But here's my thing. I want you to know that you don't have to continue to live out the dynamics of your family 
based on being bound by the past experiences that you have, but there is freedom that is found in Christ. And when you and I come to the table clothed in the character of Christ and the nature of Christ, you know what happens? You and I get the opportunity to see the redemptive power of the Holy Spirit work in our families. Now, the question that you should be asking yourself is, Pastor Brent, how do I get the opportunity to see the redemptive power of the Holy Spirit work in my family? I am so grateful that you asked. This is how you get to receive the redemptive power of the Holy Spirit work in your family. If you truly want to see the redemptive power of the Holy Spirit, the reconciliation power of the Holy Spirit, the restorative power of the Holy Spirit work in your family. You must first allow the Holy Spirit to work on you. See, here's the truth of the matter, y'all. So often, we like to look at life through our personal lens instead of looking at life through the lens of love. And what happens is, is you and I have a habit to be one-sided when it comes to navigating the difficulties of our family. When I turned 16 years old, I gave my life to Christ. And because I gave my life to Christ, I started looking at things from a biblical lens, looking at things from a different lens. And I would often pray about members in my family, whether it was immediate or away. But y'all, those prayers I prayed were so immature. Because for whatever reason, I was always praying about what they were doing and what they were saying, but I never took a moment to pause and look that maybe there are some aspects where I'm the problem. See, the truth of the matter is I know I've got some spouses who can probably relate. Have you had that moment where you prayed for your spouse, but the prayer that you prayed for your spouse was just one-sided? And if it wasn't you, I know I did. And let me give you an example of a prayer I used to pray for my spouse. Here it is. Hey, Lord Jesus. I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for my wife. But Lord, I need to let you know that there are moments where that woman you gave me is getting on my nerve. Lord, would you just touch her heart? Would you begin to change and transform her by the power of your Holy Spirit? Allow her to be more patient and loving and kind like Paul talks about. By the way, Lord, would you do me a huge favor? Would you remove the scales from her eyes so she could see how amazing of a man she married? Lord, I thank you that you are working on my wife. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, y'all, let me tell you something. There's some parts about that prayer that ain't too bad. But then there are some parts about that prayer where if you listen closely, you could hear the immaturity. And it's what you and I do. So often we want to pray for people so that those people can change, thinking that if those people change, the situation could change. But maybe, just maybe, what if God isn't waiting for you to pray for those people, but God is waiting on you to invite him into your heart and into your life so that you could change? See, here's the thing. I, I, I grew up a little bit, y'all. I, I done growed up, as they say in the South. And now I've been married for 10 and a half years, and now my prayers sound completely and totally different. See, today, if I got to pray about my spouse, here's how the prayer goes. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being gracious and kind. 
And I want to take a moment, and I just want to thank you for my wife. And here's the thing, Lord, you've seen marriages throughout all of time, and you know that marriage is a difficult thing. And I know there's some work that you're doing on my wife, but Lord, because I'm the head of the home, could you start with doing the work on me? Lord, would you give me a heart that loves my wife the same way you love the church? I remember reading in your word where you said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And if I look at that in scripture and in context, Jesus loved the church so much that he was willing to die for it. God, this is not going to be easy, but I am asking, Holy Spirit, that you would help me die to selfishness. Help me die to greed. Help me die to unforgiveness. And help me to love my wife well. As a matter of fact, I know she ain't perfect, but God, I know she's your daughter, and I know she's a gift that you gave me. So I thank you for the gift of my wife. And God, I am praising you in advance for how you are going to do some amazing things in our marriage. How you're going to knit us together and use us to raise amazing kids that grow up to know and love and serve Jesus. God, I thank you for what you're doing in my family. Start with me. I stand surrendered. Work on my heart and my mind so that I can love my wife and my family well. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You see, there's a, there's, there's a different tone to the prayer. Because I recognize that if we're really going to pursue squad goals, I got to make sure that I am coming clothed to the table with the character and the nature of Christ. And here's what happens so often, though. Instead of us coming to the table clothed with the character and nature of Christ, we show up to the table. And, y'all, we got this tendency to show up to the table with an attitude. You know, we show up to the table looking at folks saying, she better apologize for what she did. But when the last time you said sorry? We show up to the table expecting to receive some levels of mercy, but yet we have a hard time giving mercy. We show up to the table expecting people to give us grace, but yet we don't want to extend the same grace to others. Here's the thing, the enemy is not playing, y'all, and he would do whatever he can to try to destroy your family. But here's what I need you to know. The people that sit around the table with you, face to face and shoulder to shoulder, don't you dare believe the lie of the enemy and make you think that that's your enemy. The people around that table is not your enemy. We're fighting against a power that is unseen. Hence the reason why we have to be spiritually mature, have our identity established in Christ so that we can reflect, clothe our mind and our heart with the character and the nature of Christ. So the question then becomes is, Paul, what are the characteristics and the nature of Christ? Here's what he says in Colossians chapter 3. Here's a couple things that I want you all to clothe yourselves with, and then we'll be on our way. Number one, Paul encourages you and I to clothe ourselves first with mercy. 
Y'all have got an amazing, amazing story about Mercy. You saw my dad, and I told you he's a true comedian, and I never will forget. The problem is with me as I was coming up uh, before our relationship really got tight, y'all, I would say some things, and I would do some things that no five- and six-year-old boy should ever say and do to a grown man. And here's what my dad did. My dad, like I told you, he was a comedian, so I'll never forget we took a family vacation. And when we took this family vacation, uh, he came into the room where I was staying at, uh, and he started cracking a whole bunch of jokes. And they were funny jokes, but as he's cracking these jokes, as a fourth grader, I'm saying to myself, like, is he joking or is he for real? Because this kind of sting just a little bit. So the next day, we're somewhere, we're running an errand, and um, I asked him, I said, hey, were you, you serious yesterday? He said, man, I was just playing with you, but with some of the things that I said, I was dead serious. And in that moment, something clicked. Clicked in my head, clicked in my heart. And the thing that clicked was, is I was spending so much time having moments to where I wasn't honoring to him, regardless of what his parental status was. But despite me not being honoring, he still continued to show me mercy. And it was in that moment that I realized, even though I'm not this man's biological son, based on what he says, I can tell that this man really does love me as if I was his own flesh and blood. And the next day, I started going from calling him Franklin to dad. Can I tell you that when you and I show up to the table, ready to show people mercy. We get to witness and take a front row seat to see the Holy Spirit start to do a redemptive work within our families. And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, don't just clothe yourself with mercy, but he says, clothe yourself with kindness. I'm going to share with you an example that has nothing to do with families, but it's a good example, so I'm going to share it anyways, right? I've been going super, super excited when I, every time I think about kindness. One of the things that you all don't know about me, and please don't judge me, but I have this affinity and love for Bath and Body Candle Works. They just smell so good, right? Like anyone who goes to Bath and Body Works and get those three wick candles, you know exactly what I'm talking about, especially when they do that semi-annual sale and the candle only costs $8. Come on, somebody. So here it is. I go to Bath and Body Works one day and they had a little sale going on. It was $12.50. Usually the candles are $24.50. You can tell I go there all the time. So I go in and I get my little candles for $12.50. But as I walk into the store, I'm just being nice to the lady and being kind to the people around me and just, you know, trying to be a good Christian. And here's what happens. The lady who greeted me in the front of the store watched my demeanor the whole time I was walking around in the store. And when I was getting ready to check out, she walks up to me and she says, sir, you were so kind. Here is a coupon for $20. I said, thank you, Jesus, right? But here's my point. I want you to see what the Bible says because this actually is important to families. I want you to see what happens with the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 3 and 4. It says this. It says, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. It says, tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. And watch what it says in verse 4. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. When you and I show up to the table with kindness, 
God grants you and I a certain level of favor and a good reputation. I want to encourage you, when you show up to the table with your family, be intentional about being kind. You will be amazed at how it changes the whole temperature of the house when everyone's kind. Look at what Paul goes on and says. He says, clothe yourselves now with humility. All right. Best show of hands. How many of you all have been married for less than three years? Just show of hands. Anybody married less than three years? One brother there, one brother there. Okay. Um, All right. I'm about to give you all the most important piece of advice that your marriage counselor should have given you. And I'm going to give this specifically to the men in the room. If you want to practice humility... You need to write these four words down on your heart. And it is simply this. Honey, I was wrong. (laughs) Here's the thing. When you and I can show up to the table humbly and admit the moments where we've missed the mark as spouses or as parents, you would be surprised at what the Holy Spirit can do with that in the lives of the people around the table. Sometimes people are just sometimes waiting for you and I to be honest enough and open enough to say, man, I missed the mark. I'm so sorry. I was wrong. And let me be more specific. Oftentimes we only think about admitting that we're sorry when it comes to our spouses. But the truth of the matter is that sometimes as parents, we've got to be willing to say sorry to our kids as well. I had a situation where my son got in trouble at school. I got an email from the teacher. I took the teacher's word for it. I go off on my son and I say some stuff I probably shouldn't have said. Uh, And then I go have a parent-teacher conference with the teacher on Monday and I come to find out that he wasn't even the initiator of everything that took place and I overreacted to the situation. And I had to go back and apologize and say, son, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. See, when you and I are able to admit when we're wrong, it builds trust at the table. Here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, clothe yourselves with gentleness. The truth of the matter is, is so often when we get in arguments, sometimes if we're not careful, we'll start to say some things that we regret that we've said. And we start to use harsh words, words that tear down, not words that build up. I want to encourage every single person in this room to, uh, when you have those moments of tension, and you're ready to go at it, to step away for a second, to process what's happening, and then come back to the table, clothed with the character and the nature of Christ, and approach the situation gently. I'm almost done. He then says, clothe yourselves with patience. All patience simply is, is when you and I make the decision to meet a person where they are. You see, so often we have this expectation that we want people to come meet us where we are. But we've got to learn that sometimes people aren't even capable of meeting where you are. So as a result, exercise patience and go and meet them where they are. And here's another thing, especially for blended families, this is one of the things that we all have to learn is sometimes we've got to learn how to love people how they want to be loved, not how you want to love. I didn't plan on saying this, but I'll say it in this service. I love my wife with all my heart, mind, and soul, and her love language, y'all, is gifts. And that just don't do it for me because it costs too much money. (laughs) So, but my love language is words of affirmation. And I find myself all the time writing her, like, little text messages. But I tell you, if if I lived in a time where, like, we had to write hand notes and not text, ooh, 
your boy is a little player, player when it comes to putting words together. I would, I would write her little text messages and all kinds of stuff. And she'd be like, oh, this one's so nice. You know, oh, coach got a sale over there, don't you? I'm just playing. She wouldn't say that. But my point is, is her love language is gifts. Sometimes by being patient, again, this goes back to love people how they want to be loved. Meet them where they are. Then he goes on to say this. He says, clothe yourselves with forgiveness. Now, this one is a huge, huge deal. Y'all, I was talking with my mother-in-law the other day, and I need you to know that I am my mother-in-law's favorite son-in-law. And the reason why I am my mother-in-law's favorite son-in-law is because I am her only son-in-law. But I remember having a conversation with my mother-in-law, and I said, Miss Elaine, let me ask you a question. What's the greatest lesson you've learned in life? She said, Brent, the greatest lesson I've learned in life is it's not worth it. I said, could you elaborate on that? She said, man, listen, let me tell you. Sometimes the stuff you be mad about, the stuff you be fighting people over with, it's just not worth it. Y'all, I want to encourage you to learn how to forgive. Because whatever it is you're mad about, I'm going to be honest with you, more than likely, it's not worth it. But then here's the last thing that Paul says. Paul says to clothe yourselves with love. Now, this one is mission critical. This weekend, I had the opportunity to perform a wedding ceremony the couple I married, their names are Cody and Notori. And any wedding ceremony, I always give like a little five-minute sermonette. So here's what I told uh, Cody and Notori. Cody was standing right here and Notori was standing right there. And I said, Cody and Notori, I believe that this union is ordained of God. And I believe that God wants to make this union last and be blessed. But can I tell you both the secret to making this union last and be blessed Cody, your love for Notori must be greater than your love for self. And Notori, your love for Cody must be greater than love for self. And then I went on to say, listen, I know that you are both Christians and what I'm teaching you is not philosophy, but it is biblical. You all know about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's what he did. He proved to you and to me that his love for you was greater than his love for himself. And the way he proved it was by willing to go to a cross and die for you. Can I tell you that if we show up to the table clothed and loved, it means that if we are really loving our spouses, if we are really loving our children the way that God has called us to love, maybe, just maybe, that means we also must be willing to die. And I'm not talking about a physical death. I don't want you to think that Pastor Britton is some horrendous man who just told me to go die. No. What I'm saying is, is you must be willing to die to selfishness. You must be willing to die to it's all about me. You must be willing to die to unforgiveness. You must be willing to die to always wanting it to have your way. And here's what Paul says. He says, if you and I come clothed to the table with mercy, and kindness, and gentleness, and humility, and love. 
He says in the last verse, you and I will get the opportunity to experience peace. This is what I want you all to do this summer. I want you to find some time to take a seat at the table as a family. Face to face, shoulder to shoulder. Bond together. And let me say that the table doesn't necessarily have to be the dinner table. Maybe for your family, the table is going to be a road trip in the car. Maybe the table is going to be you all going to the park or going to the lake or going to the cabin or whatever it is. I just want you to be intentional about showing up to the table. And when you come to the table, make sure you come clothed with the character and the nature of Christ. God, I believe with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, that if we as a community lean into the table, this idea of showing up to the table, you and I will get a front row seat of seeing the redemptive work of the Holy Spirit work in our families. Here's the last thing that I want to do. I know that for a fact there are some of you here today in your family, you are probably experiencing what I like to call a winter season. And a winter season is when things are cold, things are hard, things are difficult. And sometimes winter seasons isn't even like you and your spouse being angry with one another. Sometimes winter season is you trying to navigate how to parent children. That's a winter season. And if you're here today, whether you're a blended family, a traditional family, or even a single parent, because that's still a family. If you're here today and you're in a winter season, I just want to take a moment and I want to pray for you. I believe that when the church prays, the Holy Spirit moves and things change. So I'm going to ask you to be bold. If you're here right now and you and your family is going through a winter season, whether it's a single family home, blended family, traditional family, right where you are, I just want you to simply stand. Don't be embarrassed. We're going to pray for you. If you're going through a winter season, I just want you to stand. Can we applaud the families that are standing for their boldness real quick? Before I pray for you, let me give you some words of encouragement. I want you to know that Jesus is sitting up in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he is making intercession for each and every single one of you. I want you to know that you do not have to be a victim in your family, but you can be a victor. I want you to know that this God that we serve is so great and so mighty and so strong and so powerful that he can completely and totally change and turn the dynamics of your family around. And I want your family to not have to go through what my family went through. And I want you to know that God can redeem, he can restore, and he can renew your family. And if you lean into God, if you lean into the Holy Spirit, I promise you, he will not only turn everything around, he will make all things better. And I want to speak to every single family here right now and let you know that I truly believe as we lean in together that your worst days are behind you and your best days are yet ahead. And my prayer is that God is going to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all that you could ask, think, or even imagine. If you are sitting down right now, could you do me a favor and stretch your hands towards these families? If they're in front of you, I'd encourage you 
you to just put your hands on their shoulder. So as a church, we can ask the Holy Spirit to move in this place and move in the hearts of these families. God, we thank you so much for being the King of Kings. We thank you so much for being the Lord of Lords. And Holy Spirit, right now, my prayer is, is that you would begin to move and work in our families like never before. That you would touch the hearts of uh, the heads of minds and of men and women in this room. That you would move in such a way that we would start to see signs of how you are active in our lives. Would you begin to heal us from our past experiences, heal us from our past traumas, and give us a heart that is willing and ready to forgive. Now, God, being in a family can be difficult. There are so many families that we see in Scripture that also struggle, but we recognize today as a church that when Jesus died on that cross, he did not die so that the family could be broken, but he died so that the family could be blessed. God, we are asking that you would bless our families. Holy Spirit, fill us with wisdom. Fill us with knowledge. Fill us with grace and fill us with mercy and fill us with the fruits of the Spirit so that we can love well. God, we thank you that there is a hope that is found in you that is found nowhere else. God, we put our trust, put our hope, we put our faith in you. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer. And I pray that we would hear some amazing testimonies that have come out of this series from these families that are standing. We thank you. We bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks, sir. God is for us, not against us. And we can trust that and lean on that because he said it in his word we can count on God to come through. So we're praying for you. We have two things we want to tell you as a church is number one, we have a free gift for you. It's like the Netflix of Christian Bible studies, free. And if you go to cornerstoneaz.com slash right now, you'll have access to it. It's called Right Now Media at no charge, no strings attached to you. And there's a study on there called the Smart Step Family. And we have found it very helpful. Hundreds of families at Cornerstone have, and it's our gift to you. And secondly, we have a blended families community that meets every single week. They pray together, they share wisdom, they come alongside each other, and you're welcome and invited to that if you want to, or if you've been through blended families and you've got some wisdom and some success and some hope, we'd love to invite you to come back as well. But either way, we love you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week.